The food we eat and the way it's produced has an enormous impact on the environment. It consumes tons of land, which otherwise would be nature, and ties in with important issues like climate change, water scarcity, soil degradation, and pollution. And because human survival requires a functioning planet, it's critically important that we improve the way we feed ourselves. With us today is Miranda Murtis to discuss these complex problems and offer many good solutions. Let's dig in. Welcome to the Human Survival Podcast, where we aim for world cooperation on critical threats to humanity. This show is offered by the Human Survival Project, a grassroots movement for citizens around the world to push for transformation of the United Nations. Our global threats need global cooperation because no nation alone can manage them. Here we have honest conversations about overcoming climate change, destruction of nature, pandemics, nuclear weapons, advancing technology, and other catastrophic threats. But this is not all doom and gloom. We talk solutions here. We can solve this mess humanity is in. We just need to be smart and do the work. To survive, we must see ourselves first as citizens of the human race. To thrive, we must protect what is beautiful about humanity. This is urgent, so let's start. Hi friends, welcome to the Human Survival Podcast. I'm Shelby Murtis. Thanks for joining me. So we're here again, uh, trying to figure out how to save humanity and the planet and create a world that we can be proud of. Today's installment of Saving Humanity is about the food we eat and generally how agriculture happens and how it has enormous impacts on the planet and the environment and the climate. And to help us talk about that is my daughter, Miranda Murtis. I'm having her on not just because she's my daughter, I'm having her on because she's really smart and she knows a lot about these issues. Um, she recently graduated from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. Um, and got a Bachelor of Science, a dual degree in animal science and sustainable food in agriculture. I think I'm farming. flubbing it. <laughs> <laughs> sustainable food and farming, exactly. So, um, and so we're going to have another one of our very interesting conversations. Um, something I love about Miranda is that she's fun to talk to. And we're both kind of intellectually curious and so we just have a bunch of interesting conversations about stuff and here we're going to share one of them with you. Um, so Miranda, welcome to the show. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so you have embarked on this field of study and um, other chapters will happen as your life unfolds here but what got you interested in this work? What got you curious to want to get this degree and study these issues? Are there particular things that drew you to it? Um, I mean, I think it all kind of started when um, pretty early on in my teenage years, I got really into um, my 4-H club. Um, so I was doing a lot of work with um, like farm animals, chickens, goats, mostly that kind of stuff um, at an agricultural education center um, nearby. 
Um, and so I got a lot of experience working with farm animals. I had goats and chickens and things like that. Um, and so from what I really enjoyed about working with livestock, I feel like I kind of um, added in a more intellectual side of it um, in college. So I initially had wanted to go to school for veterinary medicine, um, but through the animal science program, I very quickly discovered that my curiosity was a lot bigger um, than vet med. Um, and feeling like I almost had a greater obligation to explore what else was going on in the animal agriculture industry that I'd become at that point super familiar with um, because there's a lot of aspects of it that are really um, unhealthy for the planet, for people, for the animals themselves. So I felt like by adding in an aspect of my study um, in the sustainable food and farming that I could explore a lot more um, about things that were really, really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So at this point, um, going into it and during your studies, you've come across a whole bunch of um, environmental and other issues that might concern you. Um, what are some of the leading things that that really um, capture your interest, you know, that need changing in the world? Um, do you mean like in agriculture in general or animal agriculture specifically? Um, either one, actually. I mean, kind of wherever you're feeling juiced up to make a difference in the world. Um, I mean, what I'm particularly interested in is um, like sustainable integrated livestock systems. So that's kind of the combination of growing crops um, and raising livestock and how those two systems can really benefit each other when applied appropriately. Um, so I think the kind of opposite of that that we're seeing a lot in the agriculture industry right now is monocropping these huge um, consolidated enterprises that are just doing a lot of one thing. Um, so like in the, the animal agriculture side of it, that's something like factory farms um, which I think these days are getting a lot more kind of publicity, negative publicity, um, for a lot of the uh, harmful effects that those have things like antibiotic resistance or like waste from those, um, operations, animal cruelty, things like that. Um, and then on the like vegetable production side or other things like that, um, we see things like monocropping, um, just huge farms growing, things like a lot of coin, corn, a lot of soy, um, which can be really harmful for soil health um, and result in a lot of excessive like pesticide application, things like that. Mm. You know, I've heard of the problems you just described on both of these sides and mm -hmm haven't really thought or learned a lot about the benefits of integrating them, you know, in the way that you're mm. describing. So I guess, I mean, as you look at, say, plant agriculture or the monocropping, mm -hmm. we're seeing the use of tons of fertilizer and pesticides and such, which then run off into waterways and you've got 
just kind of a pollution mess there. Mm-hmm. Um, can that be actually solved by putting animals on the farm? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the kind of system that I'm interested in and kind of aspire to is not necessarily something that you can kind of just like put together really easily. It kind of has to be rebuilt from the ground up. Um, so as much as I would like to just say like, oh yeah, just throw some cows on that land where you're growing corn. It doesn't really work that easily. Um, but by building a system that does really integrate multiple factors like that, um, you can do things like really improve soil health by taking land where a single crop has been grown, which really deteriorates the nutrients in the soil. Um, you can do things like then grazing animals on that land. Um, and so the manure from those animals and whatever organic matter from the um, crops that they're grazing can just go right back into the soil. So then you can rebuild the soil again in, in cases where the the topsoil has been stripped off from mm-hmm. more damaging farming practices. Yeah. You know, would I hear this issue about um, soil loss and erosion, but I don't know a lot about it. How serious of an issue is this in, in the world? Um, I think the way I've kind of more heard it discussed, or at least the way I think about it is rather than just actual loss of soil, more soil degradation. Um, so when kind of like unsustainable practices are used, um, that can lead to like the removal over time of the the positive things in the soil, things like certain nutrients or organic matter, what allows plants to grow well, because the soil is not properly taken care of. So you can, it is easier in some ways in when you're in a really large scale operation to just grow a ton of the same thing and just over and over and over, which naturally over time, the same plants have the same needs from the soil. So the particular things that that plant is looking for will be degraded over time. Um, And so that can sort of be remedied by just adding in new inputs like fertilizers and things like that, Um, which it's not, it's kind of, it's the quick fix basically, rather than actually taking the time to properly take care of the soil. Yeah. I heard someone say, oh, go ahead, please. No, no, no. I was just going to say that um, in, and in some cases that can just make weaker and weaker soil structures. So um, soil will actually erode away over time. So I think that might be the soil loss that people are referring to. So if you beat the soil hard enough or degrade it enough, it'll just sort of crumble to dust and blow away. Basically. Yeah, it can. It's it's a lot more prone to erosion. Yeah, yeah. But I imagine um, even before that point of crumbling and blowing away, you've got degraded soil. Um, I suppose, you know, obviously one bad part of that is that the farm will not generate as much food or as much nutrients in the food. Are there additional um, environmental impacts of that soil degradation? degradation? Well, the the major thing is then reliance on chemical fertilizers. So when your soil is lacking in the nutrients needed for your crops, 
people will just add those on in the form of chemical fertilizers, um, which I think can be really harmful in their own way. Um, that's where you get kind of the like pollutive runoff from fields and things like that. Mm -hmm. Not to mention all the resources required to um, create that fertilizer. Yeah. So my understanding is that a lot of fertilizer is made from fossil fuels. Have I understood that right? Or it's a very fossil fuel intensive to create it? Yeah, it's a very, very energy intensive process. Yeah. So, um, you know, I hear people talk about the, the climate change impacts of agriculture generally. Is that, is that mostly due to that fertilizer? I mean, I know there's a, several um, things going on with farming, but is that fertilizer creation, is that a big part of it? I'm not sure, actually. I don't know necessarily how large of a role that is playing in the grand scheme of all the ways that our food production is contributing to climate change, but I imagine it's significant. Yeah. What do you think are some of the other climate change um aspects of this i mean i'm imagining the fuel that you run tractors with um maybe transport of fuel mm -hmm. um are there additional things that are um you know impacting the climate um i mean i think definitely um fossil fuels being used to like power the technology we have so th there's a lot of in large-scale farming there's a lot of machinery involved um requires gasoline <laughs> yeah yeah exactly well and and in a sense that's part of what um i don't know maybe the miracle of how we've managed to feed a growing population of eight billion people mm -hmm. you know on earth um you know a few decades ago there was a big concern that we would have um, a population decline eventually because we couldn't manage to feed everyone. Mm -hmm. But now we did manage to feed everyone, which is a miracle. But it has required this technology of tractors and fertilizers that then is doing its own damage, and we're still fighting it. Yeah, I mean, I, the, I've heard the thing that has enabled us to feed so many people with the resources we have is actually the kind of the invention of nitrogen-based fertilizers. Um, because nitrogen is just an essential nutrient that plants needs to that plants need to grow, um, and we have a ton of nitrogen in the atmosphere. But fixed nitrogen um, is what plants can absorb, um, and there's only so much fixed nitrogen out there naturally in the world. Um, but the technology that was invented to create like nitrogenous fertilizers can use nitrogen from the atmosphere kind of giving us access to a whole new source of nitrogen to then like add to crops and just enable us to feed a lot more people than otherwise we would be able to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there's this issue about um, fertilizers and also chemical pesticides being used and, um, you know, some people advocate that we all just go organic and just eat organic food and that will be the solution. 
Um, my suspicion is that it's more complicated than that, um, mm -hmm. as many things with farming and the environment are. Um, do you see organic as, you know, a complete solution or, or one of the solutions or just what do you think about it generally? Yeah, organics is tricky because I think there is a lot of positive work being done kind of in that space. Um, but like where it stands currently, organic is kind of just like a regulatory thing. Being certified organic means that a farm's practices fall into a strict set of guidelines um, about what can and can't be considered organic. Um, so there are farms that I think are doing that have really excellent practices, like are practicing regenerative, regenerative farming um, and just generally being really responsible that are certified organic. And then there are farms that really closely resemble more conventional large scale farms um, doing a lot of very similar practices, but they just happen to be able to fall into the categories required to be certified organic. So organic doesn't necessarily mean like no pesticides, no fertilizers. It means that they can use a set list of approved pesticides and fertilizers um, on their crops. Interesting. And it, it can be just as large a scale as any conventional farm, really. Hmm. So are those approved um, chemicals um, safer or less damaging? Or is there still plenty of damage being done by organic farms? Um, theoretically, yes. The, the point of certifying certain things as organic is the idea that they're lower impact or maybe less harmful. Um, I think there's a lot that we don't know about them necessarily. I'm not much of an expert on pesticides or a crop yeah, additives. you're not a chemist. Like In general, yeah. no, I'm not a chemist. Um, right. So I, I can't personally make any claims, um, but I think... It sounds it, at least like the organic um, food, it's not the back-to-nature wholesome thing that some people might envision yeah. when they buy organic. Right. It's maybe more of a gray area than that. Yeah, I, I would say it's definitely a, a gray area. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, something I think about with this whole issue of fertilizers, pesticides, organic versus conventional is the amount of land being used. Mm -hmm. So right now on earth, there is kind of a ridiculous amount of land being used to grow our food. So I, I looked up some, um, some figures today and, mm -hmm. you know, on earth, there is 27% of the earth being used to create meat. Um, so that's both, you know, like land to graze cattle on, but also the food to feed various meat animals. Mm -hmm. And then other cropland is 7%. So that's like plants that people are eating directly. Mm 
So on Earth, that's 34% of the Earth being used to grow our food. And that's compared with another 34% that is nature, whether that's forest or shrubs or grasslands or whatever. We're kind of subtracting out like more barren places like deserts or glaciers or whatever. We're talking like more natural places. So on Earth, we've basically got the same amount of land being used for agriculture as we do for nature. And we've got this environmental crisis where we've got extinctions happening left and right. Um, we're in the sixth mass extinction on Earth. And one of the large drivers of that is habitat loss. So all around the world, we're converting nature into farmland. And that process still continues. Um, and maybe the worst is like in the Amazon rainforest, for instance, where they're still burning down forest in order to graze cattle or to grow soybeans. And so it seems critically important that we learn how to create our food on less land. Um, but I don't know how we could do that in an organic way. I mean, since these pesticides and such have allowed us to get more food per acre out of our land, um, I don't know, I've gone on for a little bit, but I mean, do you see ways to deal with this land issue to use less land to feed ourselves? Yeah, I mean, something that I think is very interesting about those percentages you were saying is how like crop production is what, like 7%? but animal production is like 27 or something. Is that what it was? Yeah. 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 And I, I think generally one of the, the big issues with kind of the way that we consume animal products right now as a culture, at least in America, um, is that eating meat in particular and other animal products is a really inefficient way to like provide our bodies energy because it, you know, kind of the simplified example is like, okay, we can, you know, eat an ear of corn and get a certain amount of energy from it. Or we could feed that corn to an animal, which is going to require a lot more of that corn to create a meat product with the same amount of energy as the ear of corn to begin with. Um, so it's kind of a like a, a negative trade-off um which i think again and that's a super simplified example because it's a lot more complicated than that like the corn yeah. that we're feeding animals is not fit for humans to eat you know um and i think there's but more the land that the corn is grown on we could have grown something else on that land yeah yeah and i think there's more to a food system than just exclusively like the amount of consumable energy we can get per acre of land um but I think the way that we are farming animals right now is incredibly inefficient. Yeah. So earlier we were talking about the sort of division between, um, you know, animals and plant growing being separate. You know, mm -hmm. we've talked more about the plant side, but let's talk a little more about the meat side, if, if yeah. you're willing. Um, what are some of the problems of meat production and its impact on the environment? 
Um, I mean, what strikes me as most significant is kind of what we were just talking about of how we're growing tons and tons and tons of corn and soy to feed animals when that's a really inefficient way to create food. And it's not even what those animals should be eating. Mm. It's, it's just not what is healthy or natural for them. So why do they feed them corn and soy instead because of what's natural for them? It's easy to grow. It's high calorie and animals grow really quickly or will produce a lot of product on those feeds. Mm -hmm. So is it kind of like if I were to feed my children just sugar instead of a well-balanced meal? I mean, kind is of, that yeah. kind of what you're doing <laughs> with like sweet corn? It's high energy. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so that happens because we have this industrialized system that grows corn and soy efficiently and cheaply. Um, yeah, exactly. Is there a way to like, could meat ever be environmentally sustainable? I mean, say we fed them what they're more designed to eat. What would that look like in terms of our resource use and our land use and all that? I mean, would it make the sort of plant creation side better if we switched to different feed? Um, I think kind of, yes, but it's, it's way, way more complicated than that. I think one of the really big things is that we're going to have to kind of confront what our diets are looking like and we're going to have to accept something that looks pretty different. You know, I think a sustainable system is not going to be able to provide us just like the sheer amount of animal products that most Americans are used to eating on a day-to-day -day basis. Like we're just really going to have to shift our relationship with those foods. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that animals can be an extremely important part of a greater food system. But in kind of what I envision as having a food system that comes from a lot more sustainably integrated practices, we're just ha gonna have to get used to eating a lot more plants. Right, exactly. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think like to veganism is the answer, which it's controversial, but <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I think we're gonna yeah. have to I've gone that route for myself just because mm -hmm. I see all this mess out there and I don't want to participate in it. But yeah. I do realize that on the larger scale though, animals could play a role if it's done well, you know. Yeah. Um yeah, I've just I mean, for I the meantime said there's there's just farm too much meat destruction and I don't I'm just gonna do my part and not do it but yeah yeah i mean i, I think that's a totally sensible reaction to what we're being faced with right <laughs> yeah. now like there aren't a lot yeah. of better options than that yeah yeah well so the impacts of meat you know we've talked about that it requires an enormous amount of land um to grow all that food and then in mm -hmm. some cases for cattle grazing um i believe i've also heard it takes an enormous amount of water is that true? Mm -hmm. More so than um, just eating a plant-based diet? 
Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of that does go into feed production. Right. Like the, the water requirements for those crops. Got it's it. not just because, like, cows are really thirsty, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got it. But, you know, that's another thing that humanity is going to have to be smarter about going forward. Because mm -hmm. we have climate change is going to change the entire water um, cycles. But also there's many places on earth where um, farming has overused water. So for irrigation, they've pumped groundwater and in some cases not even monitored how much is left. So we have these situations where like we might just run out of water in some places because we've been using right. too much. Um, and, you know, out in California, a huge amount of food is grown in the middle of a desert. Um, right. In some cases, you know, I recently stopped eating walnuts or not. Yeah, walnuts and almonds because they require a huge amount of water. And I heard something like for one nut, like one almond takes an entire gallon of water. And yeah, they're doing that like out in California in the desert where they're running out of water. I, you know, I just, right. <laughs> I don't really see how long we can keep doing this and how this makes any sense, you know? Yeah. Um, have you come across much of these water issues in your studies so far? I mean, are there solutions to this water issue? Um, I mean, probably less meat, of course, maybe fewer mm -hmm. almonds. Um, but in a larger sense, are there practices or technologies coming along that can help farmers um, do what they do with less water? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's people like on the biotech side of things looking at ways of how to make crops need less water. Um, but I, I think the way I kind of see the path forward is just we're going to have to change what we eat. Um, and on the water consumption side of that, I think a really important thing can be eating a more localized diet. So almonds are not meant to grow in the desert. They're meant to grow in a warm climate like California, which is why I assume they grow them there. Um, but I think like us here in the Northeast, like we would not be able to grow an almond, you know, right. outside right now in the snow. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's a really big privilege that I could still walk into a grocery store and buy a bag of almonds, which I think there's a fine line because like food and the culture of it, I think is a really huge part of the human experience and just like, like how our, our culture kind of functions. So I don't mean to say that like, like, okay, we should just lose access to all the foods that don't grow in the place where we live. But I think we're going to have to put in a lot greater effort to eat things that can grow where we live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and even one aspect um, on the way to that could be to just grow plants where those plants are designed to be. 
So, for instance, the almond was not evolved to be in a California desert. You know, maybe in a hot, wet climate, like maybe in the Mediterranean or something, that would be more suitable place for that plant to be. But there's these situations where they just, you know, I don't know if anything is really designed to be grown in the desert. Actually, I mean, I mean, there's yeah, a whole I mean, bunch of other know. things, tomatoes and whatever else that they do there, yeah. and I, you know, um, it's right. kind of I don't unnatural. Know much about almond trees necessarily, yeah. right? Um, right. <laughs> but there may be though a greater emphasis on plants being well tailored to the place where they're being grown. Um, or even the soil conditions there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in the sort of monocropping mono kind of industri industrial way, it's just like everybody grows the same thing wherever you are, and we might have to tailor it more than that. So, mm. Yeah, especially as our, our climate changes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know I'm kind of bopping around a bit, but, you know, That's back right. to, to meat, um, you know, obviously a solution is for us to all eat less meat and just do less of that. Um, but within, within meat production, are there techniques or ways to do it better so that it's less damaging? Yes. <laughs> um, I think it, it gets a little complicated because you can't just take a large scale factory farm and just tweak a couple things and make it better. Um, I, the, the, the changes are going to have to be a lot more systemic in the way that farms are functioning. Um, but I think a, an example of that, that we're kind of seeing more and more is now the, the concept of grass-fed um, animal products, which, like organic, is also a marketing tactic <laughs> at the end right. of the day, a less yeah. regulated one. So there, there's there's good and bad things for that, where their farms don't necessarily have to be held to such stringent standards, but there are Farms are also going to have to stand behind their claims a little bit more because it's not just like they're checking boxes. Um, I think the grass-fed is kind of mostly used with cattle at this point, um, and that's what I know the most about. Um, but a, a grass-fed system rather than like a feedlot system for beef production can yield a similar product but have an entirely different environmental impact mm -hmm. whereas like yeah. like like feedlot fed beef is i think doing a lot of damage whereas grass-fed beef can actually be benefiting the environment mm -hmm. i've heard a little about regenerative grazing <laughs> which is this way of grazing cattle on grasslands. And apparently you move your cattle enough to where you they don't overeat the grass in a particular place or don't trample the ground too much 
so that basically you're allowing the plants to keep growing and regenerating in a good way. Right. Proponents of this have said that it could even be a climate change solution by yeah. sequestering carbon in the soil, by basically replenishing that topsoil instead of stripping it. Right. Um, it sounds exciting to me. It's hard for me to... Basically, I haven't made up my mind on it. I'd have to learn more. And it sounds yeah. like there's a little controversy in the field about how much of a climate benefit it is versus is it a way to just keep eating meat that's a, like not quite as bad. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I understand that c cattle release a lot of methane, which is a greenhouse gas. Mm -hmm. And so with all the cow burps, creating methane, it seems like you'd have to replenish a lot of topsoil to offset that. Um, I mean, do you see this kind of thing as being a good sustainable option going forward? Or is this, I hate to use the term greenwashing. I don't mean to like yeah. put anybody down, but <laughs> I just wonder, is it one of these sort of false solutions that's maybe not the real thing? Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily know the numbers on it, but this is something I studied a lot in school, um, kind of like grazing techniques. Um, and so I think the the like climate change benefit you're talking about is adding organic material, which is basically carbon, back into the soil. Um, and so I, I think a regenerative grazing system can be a pretty good way of doing that because when I guess I, all of this is in comparison to the conventional way of raising cattle right now, which is a feedlot, which is basically just a bare fenced in area with a bunch of cows in it who just walk around and eat corn out of a trough. <laughs> um, and so you, you see a lot of negative effects from that, from just the, the manure produced um, and animal health impacts of being in, like close confinement like that, whatever. Um, but in a regenerative grazing system, you have cattle on grass. Um, and by grazing the, the grass in a controlled way, um, which would be like rotational grazing, which is where you move your animals from place to place over a kind of calculated period of time, um, you can kind of take advantage of the way that cattle eat. <laughs> so mm -hmm. they eat a certain amount of the grass before you move them. And so by doing so, I, I forget exactly, there's like someone has studied like a certain amount of the, the grass that is left after a cow bites the top of it um, can actually make the plant regrow better. So if you can move the cattle on from wherever they are before the grass gets depleted too much, then it can actually grow back kind of stronger than it was before. Um, and so that, and it's perfectly good nutrition for the cattle. They deposit manure back into the soil. The, just the grass growing there, the roots being in the soil, that is all organic matter. And that's all carbon that is going back into the soil. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, obviously this is better than a feedlot cattle situation. Yeah. Um, could it ever be as good as a plant-based diet? Um, I'm not sure. I think that is kind of a question for a mathematician. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. and no no system is the same. I think a lot of it depends too. But part of part of the issue with the way our food system is working right now is people are saying, "Hey, we can farm on this land. Let's just get as much out of it as we can." Um, but I think, like in truly sustainable farming systems, there's a lot you have to consider about like where you are, what the climate is like, what the soil is like naturally. Um, that comes into play. So I think if you just have an acre of really great soil, really great land, it makes a lot more sense to grow crops there because plants are going to really thrive. And that is just a more efficient way of producing food from that land. Um, but if you have what's called like marginal land, which is places where you crops won't grow really well. There might be a really steep slope. There might be a lot of rocks, stuff like that, but you can still graze animals on that land. Um, by doing so, you can improve the quality of that land and still grow, get food from it. Mm, got it. So yeah, that opens up the possibilities of what we can do with various land. So yeah, I guess poor quality land, you can still get something out of it. So Right. And it, it can be used as a way to improve land that's already been degraded. So by carefully integrating animals into a system, you can make the soil better to later grow crops on it. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. I like the sound of that. Um, so earlier you were talking about a um, what you hope to be the new way of farming where animals are integrated with plant production. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk more about that? Like, what would that look like if I was on that farm? What would I be seeing there? What would the activities be and how would that integration happen? Mm -hmm. Well, there's like a number of different types of systems that people are working on. So kind of what I was just mentioning um, as like a way to improve soil health by integrating livestock, um, people are kind of using a system of rotating animals onto and then off of land as a way to just improve the soil. Um, and an example of that would be like cover cropping is a really common practice on a lot of farms, which is where in the like off growing season, uh, a different crop is planted just to kind of retain soil, um, keep things just like healthier, keep um, keep it going through the, the off season. Um, and then animals can graze that cover crop when it, when it comes time to like plant in your primary crop again. And so by doing so that that soil is productive for longer um, then the manure is deposited back into the soil. There's more organic matter from the cover crop in the soil. Um, and so that can overall improve the soil health. Um, another thing that people do is like, kind of, I'm trying to think of it. 
basically as a way to improve degraded land um, by moving animals across it. Um, kind of in the same way of like, that's a more sustainable way to get nutrients back into the soil is having animals there and depositing manure. And then different livestock animals can have kind of different impacts. Like, um, oh, I don't know if I'm going to think of enough good examples to continue that. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Um, it sounds to me when you do that, you could reduce the amount of chemical fertilizer that's used because yeah. you're just using animal um, poops to fertilize the soil instead of that chemical fertilizer, yeah. which would be a huge benefit, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, one type of system that I find very interesting and like to talk about is um, the concept of silvopasture, which basically means growing trees and producing tree products along with livestock animals. I think that's a really interesting example of an integrated system because um, it's pretty straightforward. Basically, you can grow trees for fruit or nuts or timber production of those sorts of tree products. Um, having tree cover benefits livestock animals in a lot of ways, um, providing shade, shelter, things like that, that can improve the health of the animals and increase their production. And at the same time, having animals on the same land as trees can benefit the trees by kind of removing uh, plants in the understory that might be competing for nutrients and fertilizing the soil. So by having those two components like coexisting and kind of working together, you can improve the production of both things. I think the term that people use for that is called, I think it's called overyielding, um, which is basically where if you have an acre of land and you just grow apple trees on it, you might produce a certain amount of apples. Um, and if you are focusing all of that land on raising sheep, you might produce a certain amount of lamb. Um, and in a combined system, the amount of apples and lamb respectively that you're producing might be lower than if you focused on each of those things individually. In a combined system, the overall production can often be higher because the each component of the system is actually benefiting the other. Yeah. I mean, it does start to more closely mimic an actual ecosystem in nature. I mean, mm -hmm. nature never has one type of plant <laughs> in a place. There's always multiple plants and multiple animals and it would just seem that if you're combining multiple things in a place, you're more doing what nature does best and reaping some of those benefits because nature is pretty smart. Yeah. I feel like you're, you're getting closer and closer to the thing that like I am very excited and passionate about. Right. <laughs> which yeah. is what I want to study for my master's degree, which is agroecology as a field, which is mm -hmm. kind of exactly what it sounds like. It's like agriculture through an ecological framework, um, yeah. which a lot of times looks like what you're talking about of growing food in a way that is a little more um, like, what's the word? 
just growing food in a way that is a lot more similar to how ecosystems function. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many examples you've studied or read or whatever, but I'm just curious how many different products you could get out of a particular farm or chunk of land. I mean, are we on the scale of three or 10 or 20 or I wonder how many things you can mix and make it work. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's really any one answer to that. I think it's just limited by what people's creativity, you know, Mm -hmm. of like what people are willing to try. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I suppose too, that if we get that increase in productivity, you've talked about, by combining things that maybe we can use less land for the food that we need because we do have this land issue like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think I, in my mind, the benefit of an integrated system is not necessarily just efficiency because I think farming with sustainable practices is never going to be as efficient as conventional farms are now like we're just not going to be able to beat that like the the reason that is kind of the way that food is produced is because it is it's really efficient and really cost effective to produce the amount of food that we do um i think the benefit of sustainable regenerative integrated systems is being able to still kind of feed the population while not, you know, collapsing the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's I'm, like, how, how can we be a little more efficient while still farming sustainably? Yeah. I expect that to transition to this type of farming, we'd have to really change our, um, well, our economy and our, um, what do you call it? You need a lot of more workers to do this type of farming. It's more human hands-on farmers than, say, one farmer who drives a tractor and can handle so many acres with that giant tractor. Here, you have to, it just takes more people power, right, to do this? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Which I guess is then um, going against the grain of the way our economy and societies have have trended for the last, I don't know, 100 years. I mean, we've had, you know, used to have more farmers on the land, and mm-hmm. now there are far fewer because you have tractors and chemicals and whatever else boosting efficiency. Um, and there's been economic benefit to doing that. So I imagine we'd have to refashion public policies to encourage people to be farmers and get paid well and do that, you know, because if just left to the capitalist economy, it'll just keep going as it is in this industrial way. And um, I don't know, maybe need tax breaks or job training or, or whatever else to get more farmers back on the land. Yeah, I mean, I don't know really what a successful policy solution would be. 
but I think there is the reality of just that farming is a really hard job. It just is a, a lot of work and a lot of investment. Um, and I understand why probably a lot of people don't really want to do it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Kind of part of the, the broader solution I see includes more people getting involved in where their food is coming from. Mm-hmm. So like even yeah. someone growing a garden on their balcony, like that is a, a step in the right direction. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm just sort of um, brainstorming and thinking out loud, but I'm thinking that a government program to offer good insurance to farmers could be really helpful so that they could experiment with these new techniques without going out of business and going bankrupt. You know, there is a bit of risk involved um, to go away from this stable, tried and true farming methods and try something new. Yeah. Without supporting them and trying something new, people are going to be afraid to do it. So, um, I don't know. I'm, I kind of like the idea of a government program to help farmers do it and take risk. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think something like that could be really beneficial just in encouraging producers to I want to say do the right thing I don't think there's necessarily like a right or wrong um but giving people the opportunity to expand kind of the definitions of what our food production looks like Mm -hmm. yeah um I guess my brain is on public policy at the moment and I don't know if you've learned a lot about this angle, but I'm thinking about how so much of what we've talked about in this conversation in terms of agriculture's impact on the environment from, you know, climate change to land to water to soil loss to pollution. Mm. This is all these different impacts happening and these decisions to be more environmentally friendly might not get made by the individual consumer, like the buyer of food. Like we all have like so little control over what we eat at the grocery store, but it also might not be made by individual farmers who are trying to make a living and be profitable in this system that we have. So it seems to me like the only way to get this stuff to shift is with strong public policy by governments that are offering, you know, tax breaks for doing the good things and um, maybe penalties for doing the bad things and offering supports or offering insurance programs or offering job training or funding research or it seems as a, a large role for governments to play um, in deciding these things. I mean, am I making any sense or do you think this is what we should be looking at? No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think there are a lot of farms out there doing really incredible work, kind of proving that we can grow food in a different way, but those are, that's more of the exception than the rule because it, it takes 
a really specific set of circumstances for like a, a, a more sustainable farm to be able to exist. So I think really like people need help doing mm. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm also, um, there's this idea I've had lately about environmental protection generally, but I mm -hmm. think it could apply to farming as well. Um, we need more scientists involved in public policy in a decision-making way. Like not just, I mean, I, I love what scientists do. I'm not knocking anyone, but the yeah. system now seems to be that scientists study something, they write a paper or report, give it to the congressman, who the congressman might understand it or not, yeah. or and ignore, ignore it, it <laughs> or maybe pay attention. Yeah, yeah, it's just scientists need to be more deeply woven into the public policy making process and kind of have some clout in making decisions. Mm -hmm. and, and part of what's important about this is that with any complex system, if you try to optimize for one factor, you're probably screwing something else up. And so yeah. we have these complicated systems where we have to balance our management of land and water and natural resources and climate emissions and other kinds of pollution and protecting the animals and protecting the waterways. And like it all is this interconnected web that um, individual farmers, individual consumers, even an individual congressman can't manage. And so you right. really need scientific expertise to be highly involved so that we can, I mean, I would trust them so much more than myself to balance these complex um, interactions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one year we might want to go stronger on protecting this and the other year we protect more of that or, um, I don't know, we just need to make ways for scientists to be making the decisions rather than, I don't know, lay people or the typical politician. So. Yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's my rant for the day. No, no, it's a good rant. I like it. <laughs> well, Miranda, this has been, um, as always, a really fun, interesting chat. Um, you're, you're still fun to talk to. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> God, I can keep it up. <laughs> and thank you for sharing, um, you know, your knowledge with us. I'm, uh, I'm pleased. I think you got a lot of bang for your buck in that uh, college education you just got. <laughs> you seem to have I, learned a lot over there. <laughs> yeah, I've good. even got more to say. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, yeah I mean, we, we probably... A lot of it is like my opinions you know but at least i feel like i have pretty well educated opinions <laughs> oh exactly yeah better than um you know the average person like me just trying to figure it out so figuring yeah. it out is hard there's a lot of like really complicated and nuanced topics like anywhere in the world of food and food production Oh, exactly. Yeah. Like and just, here I am just trying to go into the grocery store and be responsible. And it's hard. It's really, it's really hard to do that. It's almost like in, impossible. 
Yeah, I know. I know. Well, thank you for all that you've done so far and what you're about to do in the coming years to just bring some sanity to this whole system and try to yeah. fix it because it is incredibly important. Um, and it's reminding me today the importance of all this. You know, I may want to keep talking about these issues on this show because it is critically important to human survival that we treat the planet in a good way. Um, and I mean, we've just shown that the way we eat um, has a huge impact. So, yeah, so anyway. I think food is like one of the, if not like the most important things. Yeah, like we, just we all gotta need, eat. We need to eat to live. So if we're yeah. not also eating responsibly, we're not gonna live. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I agree with you there. Well, thank you so much, Miranda. Um, and thank you, listeners, for joining us. Um, I appreciate you going on this journey with us. And please join us next time. Thanks. Take care. Hey, wait. Before you go, I need your help. It's small, but really important. Simply listening to this show is great. But doing things and taking action is way more powerful. This is not just a podcast. This show is the voice of a very ambitious grassroots organization, the Human Survival Project. We must transform the United Nations so it's strong enough to manage our global catastrophic threats. Making change happen on this ambitious scale is only possible when people participate and work together. So please, like and subscribe to this show, or leave a comment. You know how this works. With likes and subscribes and comments, you're telling the computer algorithms that you care about this show. So the algorithms will then recommend this show to other people. This is how we grow and reach a bigger audience. And this growth is really important for a global grassroots movement trying to improve how the world operates. We can't do this alone. We need you. Beyond liking and subscribing, here are three other ways you can help. One, share this show with a friend, person to person. A growing audience powers this cause. Two, come to our website, www.thehumansurvivalproject.org. Three, at the website, sign up for our email newsletter and keep up with our progress. I promise you'll like what you see and it'll help you talk to your friends about what must be done to protect humanity. Thanks to Moby for the show's theme music, and thanks to you for listening, for helping us grow, and for speaking about these important issues with everyone you know. Have an outstanding day. I'll talk to you soon.